0: Hello, Insiders, insiders, and a very very pleasant pleasant, good good afternoon to you.
1: Wherever you may be, this is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting from my clandestine underground bunker in Coronado, California, along with my good friend and Inside Track co-host,
0: Eb Wilkinson.
1: Welcoming you to a special immigration edition of Inside Track. Well, we're off to a great start. Thanks for tuning in today. I am broadcasting remotely, as I said. Um, at this time, this is the first summer using this newfangled advanced technology uh, that uh, Ray Engineering uh, from the station has made abundantly easy for me to use and hopefully not screw up. Over the past two summers, Inside Track has mostly been broadcasted using pre recorded segments with our guests, not anymore. Now we're using new broadcasting techniques. I'm always skeptical about technology, but here it goes. Eb, great to be with you. Even if I can't actually see you, we have a great show for you today.
0: And good to be with you. We've got David Layton sitting in with us, Bruce. Well, good. Yeah,
1: and as Davis. long as as long
0: as long you keep the string tight between the two cans, we won't have any problem with the technology.
1: All right, well, we'll try. And uh, David, I just want to let you know, um, you're... you're your uh, uh, transcript is not lost. I just haven't found it yet. Um, <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> it's, it's in one of the boxes from when from when Jane and I moved to the new house. And uh, I, I just need to be able to make my way to, to that particular box, which I haven't been able to do yet. Anyway, we welcome your calls at the Essential Pest Control Hotline. At 790-2040, we have a special immigration show for you today. In just a moment, Heritage Scholar and former DHS official Laura Reese will join us to discuss the recent statement she co-wrote with her fellow DHS former colleagues, Ken Cuccinelli, Mark Morgan, James Carafano, and Mike Howell, issued about the Biden-Harris administration, what they're doing to more rapidly disperse illegal immigrants all through America, thus making their immigration adjudication that much more difficult and why this is a problem. Uh, Laura will be with us until about 1.30. After the bottom of the hour break, former US ambassador to Mexico, Chris Landau, will join us. We'll continue our previous discussion about his tenure Leading the U.S. diplomatic mission in Mexico City with an emphasis on the changes from the successful Trump immigration policies. Em and I are very much looking forward to continuing our conversation with Ambassador Landau. We started about a month ago. This portion of Inside Track brought to you by my co host, Eb Wilkinson and Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach. Your wealth management is designed so you never have to depend upon socialist security. Eb manages family wealth for my sister, and he does a fantastic job. Call Ebb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. Uh, before we get to our first guest, Laura, and I don't, is she on the line yet? Follow She's us. not on the line yet. Okay, well, we're going to call Tom's calling her. her right now. Yeah, we're going to call here in just a second. Um, I, I, do, I do just want to take a moment or so to uh, give you the beginning of a simple guide to understand the Hamas-Israel conflict. Um, somebody said, I'm having trouble uh, explaining Israel's actions in Gaza to my friends and family. They're accusing me, this person said, and I want to understand. This is what they're saying. Why can't Israel show restraint and not bomb Gaza? especially when they have the Iron Dome to intercept most rockets. Well, imagine if you were sitting in your home, out on the east side or maybe up on the foothills, with your children and uh, all, all your family together, and someone began shooting bullets into homes, killing and wounding children, firing rockets or lobbing artillery shells into the Tucson Valley. Is the correct thing to show restraint and allow all innocent people to die? You know, Hamas sent more than 4,000 rockets um, on Israel, both in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Ashdod, Ashkelon, many other cities, Ramat Gan, Kiryat Malachi. Even with the Iron Dome, there are casualties in Israelings. They're living in dread. When a siren goes off in the middle of the night, they have just seconds to rush all the children into a shelter. Should Israel just accept this? And and I would you know I would say that um, um, the problem is uh, really more about um, the fact that when you think about it, it always takes two to create peace. And with that, um, we'll we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this next week. Um, on to our first guest now though eb and i are pleased to welcome back laura reese to inside track laura is the director of the center for technology policy and senior research fellow for homeland security at the heritage foundation laura has over two decades experience in the immigration and homeland security area laura has twice worked at the department of homeland security on management and immigration policy and operations issues, most recently as acting deputy chief of staff. She's also worked in the private sector as a homeland security industry strategist and in government relations. Um, welcome back to Inside Track, Laura. Immigration policy has certainly changed dramatically since January 20th. Vice President Harris is the president's choice to lead on immigration. I think we are about seven or eight weeks since she was tasked to oversee the surge. What do you think about her remote control approach to handling the current crisis so far?
2: Well, it's certainly not any example of leadership. Uh, She really needs to go down to the border and talk to the Border Patrol agents down there. Uh, They are the experts and learn what um, the migrants are saying as they come over, as well as talk to the governments of Mexico and and the Central American uh, Northern Triangle countries to, to get to the root causes of this migration.
1: Hmm.
0: So, Laura, we live right here on the border. We see it all the time. What are you saying the root causes of the migration are?
2: Well, it's mostly economic. Um, Unfortunately, many of these people apply for asylum, but they're not eligible. Only uh, about 13 to 15% end up being eligible for asylum and are granted as such. But most of these migrants are coming for economic reasons. Uh, They're coming here for jobs. They are uh, fleeing um, COVID economies in their own respective countries. And um, unfortunately, they use asylum, which is one of our most important uh, immigration benefits, and it gets abused. And uh, they claim fear, and they are released into the U.S., and then under this administration, no one is being deported.
0: No, not only are they released. the uh, U.S. is basically doing the very end leg of the uh, coyotes' job for them, the smuggler's job. The smuggler, all he has to do is get them to the border, get them across the border, then the U.S. takes over and sends them wherever they want to go.
2: That's right. I myself have been on a flight recently from Dallas to Washington, D.C., where two brand-new migrant families uh, boarded the plane. Uh, one of them had a piece of paper with large uh, writing on it that said, I do not speak English, what plane am I supposed to be on? And then they had uh, manila envelopes with the itinerary written out for them. And uh, that this is a pattern. This is what lots of, lots of other folks are seeing on flights as well. So they're being bussed around the country, they're being flown around the country, and it's on the tax paradigm.
1: Absolutely. Bruce? Um, Laura, recently you co-authored a statement with your heritage colleagues And I'll quote part of it, the United States government should not be implementing or even debating policies that will encourage and facilitate more people entering this country illegally. Uh, The proposal from Senators Cornyn and Sinema, uh, that's Kirsten Sinema from here in Arizona, unfortunately would do just that, making Biden's border crisis worse and rewarding his open borders agenda with a congressionally approved bailout um it, 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 how did this happen i mean where where did this come from this is this is just playing right into the hand uh, of the cartels and and all of the people who are for open borders here in this country and and there's a republican uh from texas of all places actually suggesting it
2: yes yeah. so what the biden administration is doing is they're just trying to process them in faster Uh, It has been a media headache for them, and so whenever there's pictures or video of lots of the unaccompanied alien children at the facilities, whether it's CBP or HHS, that's a media headache for this administration. And so they're trying to process them through quicker uh, so that it doesn't look so crowded, and then they hope that the media will go away and none will be the wiser. Um, They are burning through money HHS has just uh, transferred $2 billion out of their COVID and emergency response fund to pay for the housing for these unaccompanied alien children. And so at some point, they're going to have to go to Congress with a hat in hand and say, we need a whole lot of money to pay for all of this. And so members of Congress cannot reward or codify this practice by either giving them money to do it or putting into statute the— hey, the reception centers that this administration is trying to uh, put into place for processing all these illegal aliens.
0: Hey Hey, hey Laura, uh, I hate to do this, now's a perfect time to pause to pay some bills. Uh, let's take our
1: first break. We'll be okay. right we'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all the listeners here. Tucson Iron & Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520 209 1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season.
0: Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886 3029. That's 886 3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. I am uswilkinson.com. 777-1911. 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by my friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron Metal Surplus. Uh, Bruce talked with Gary yesterday about a bunch of steel they needed for a fence project at his new house. Everyone can find something for the home or ranch at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus at super great prices. Go and check out what they have to offer. And don't forget, now that we're going into a spring, a summer temps, this is the time to get ahead of the desert critters and pests. Call 886 3029 for Eric Rudin and his great team at Essential to protect your home, business, and your kids and doggies. These are two great locally owned family businesses you can depend on. We do, and so should you. Welcome back, Laura. Heritage is a leading source for smart immigration policy. Tell our leaders about Heritage and particularly about the scholars you work with there on smart immigration policy. hello laura
2: yes i'm sorry
0: <laughs> okay uh yeah uh, hey,
1: lord laura, laura it's bruce why don't you talk about uh, the way that heritage is really leading the way for smart immigration policies and and particularly um, you know what every day everyday, everyday uh, uh, folks here in the country can can learn from the scholars you work with on uh, immigration policy
2: well certainly uh, fortunately we are um We have several uh, visiting fellows, for example, who are right out of the Department of Homeland Security, like myself, uh, including Chad Wolf, who's the former acting uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mark Morgan, who's the former acting uh, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner. Uh, We had Ken Cuccinelli, who was the former acting uh, Deputy Secretary. And uh, they, along with myself and and other uh, experts in the field, we do a number of uh, written pieces, uh, we put out press statements. We, do, we hold public events uh, all on the uh, border crisis and immigration policies um, to try and get to sound policies that secure the country, um, that provide for economic freedom, and um, that, that keep Americans safe.
0: In your recent statement, you and your heritage colleagues also wrote a new proposal from Senators Cornyn and Kirsten Sinema enables the Biden administration to process and release illegal aliens into the U.S. more rapidly, provide illegal aliens with legal counsel and transport them across the locations of the United States upon their release. We talked about that that earlier, all paid for by the U.S. taxpayers. What effect is this going to have on our country and also on the border?
2: well it will continue to draw illegal immigration to the border and what should be happening instead is pushing the border out and if if building these uh processing centers or what the Biden administration unfortunately is calling them reception centers um it's just going to keep this um this cycle going and as long as they are releasing them into the u.s and not deporting them then communities everywhere are going to be affected by this, particularly with uh, respect to cost, whether that is education, health care costs, housing, uh, and other social services. Right now, every community is a border community because, as we talked about before, uh, these migrants are being transported all over the country. Uh, but also, unfortunately, what goes hand-in-hand with this open border right now are the uh, drugs that are coming in. And as uh, unaccompanied alien children um, take up the time of the Border Patrol agents and pull them off the line, that frees up uh, drug smugglers to cross more easily and bring in more drugs. And uh, fentanyl seizures are up, meth is up, cocaine is up, and so this, these poisons are also coming to our communities all over the country, which is another reason why. Every town is a border town, unfortunately.
0: Hey, absolutely. We're seeing the drug smuggling down here in Tucson, a dramatic increase. They're, uh, with all the drugs they're catching, think about all the drugs that they're not catching. Uh, exactly. You've got uh, 70,000 deaths last year from overdoses alone. And when you put that into real numbers, that's like a 737 crashing every single week with all hands dying.
2: Yes. And and the administration has to know that this is happening, and this is the result, and they don't seem to care. And so not only are Americans having to pay with their taxpayer dollars, they're having to pay with their lives. And it's needlessly and avoidably so.
0: And unfortunately, Excuse me. Unfortunately, we have the cartels operating right here in the U.S., not just south of the border. They're north of the border right now. And the Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing about that whatsoever.
2: Yeah, it's shocking because they know the results and, you know, the numbers keep going up, whether it's uh, people or drugs, and they are not lifting a finger to change their policies. This is very intentional. They seem to be rolling the dice that It will result long-term in votes for them, uh, which is extremely perverse. And I will also add, they're doing this on the backs of children. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas of Homeland Security continues to say that he will not turn back unaccompanied alien children. And those numbers continue to go through the roof. More parents are sending their children across the border unaccompanied. It's endangering their lives. He needs to stop that messaging. Um, if they want to truly stop trafficking of children.
0: Well, that's basic child abuse at its very core.
2: It is. It is. And the cartels are making $20 million a day off of it.
0: And not just that, but off of the off of the drugs as well. So we saw the videos of people, uh, these caravans of people marching up to the U.S. Uh, some of the people that I looked at, there's no way in hell they made a 12,000 or a 1,200-mile journey Walking, looking in as good a shape as they did, where are they getting the support?
2: There are all sorts of organizations that seem to be supporting this, and you're right. There's the timing, the uh, the Biden, um, the backpacks, everything about it is seems quite organized, and um, there are just so many groups with. Uh, mysterious resources and funding behind it, um, it it would behoove someone to really um, follow the money and and see who is paying for this. But um, none of this is by coincidence.
0: Yeah, I think it was on the first day of the Biden-Harris administration, an executive order was issued cancelling construction of the border security fence along the southern border. Uh, you're, uh, You're a border security expert. Was this a good move or a malicious effort to derail immigration security?
2: No, it wasn't a good move. The Border Patrol agents themselves had asked for that border wall. They didn't say they needed it in all 2,000 miles on the border. They said they needed it in specific areas, and that was what was being constructed. So to, to just stop the construction is not only makes the border less safe, it's ignoring the experts on the ground, and it costs taxpayers more money to stop the contracts.
1: Hmm. Hey, uh, Laura, Bruce Ash again. Talk about why actions border states um, um, should be why should border states, as you said in your in your statement, be pounding the table for more and not less border security measures?
2: well, as as, as you're seeing it, the border states, you know they're the first ones impacted. and And while many migrants are transported all over the country, uh, many more do settle down in, in the you know California through Texas. And so it's very important because the federal government, whether it's Congress right now or the Biden administration, uh, don't seem keen to start deporting people or enforcing the law. So states need to flex their muscles, whether that is um, using E-Verify to make sure that businesses are hiring lawful immigrants or... Um, Preventing sanctuary cities and counties within their states, um, not issuing driver's licenses to illegal immigrants or in-state tuition. It's basically not giving benefits to someone who's not supposed to be here.
0: Well, that's a good point. You've got the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, uh, basically rejected federal funding to accept migrants into, uh, into the state, saying they need to find homes for them. As, uh, the, the, finding homes for them is the president's problem.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, immigration is is largely a federal issue, um, but there are some areas where states can act. Uh, Arizona has been uh, a leader in that, particularly during the Obama administration in terms of documentation and work authorization, et cetera. And so where states can uh, push back against the federal government, they should do so.
1: Hmm. Laura, um, what was so what was so bad about the Trump administration immigration policies, such as uh, the stay-at-home or stay-in-Mexico plan, the migrant protection protocols, asylum cooperative agreements with, with the Northern uh, Triangle countries. What was so bad that the first day Joe Biden um, walked into the White House, he had to make all of the, the changes that he did?
2: I think the Biden administration viewed it two ways. One, Trump's name was on it, and therefore they defined that as bad. And so therefore they stopped it. But two, they want more immigration, whether that's illegal or legal. They just want more of all of the above. Um, And so anything that was uh, putting a check on that or enforcing immigration laws, they stopped. The uh, Remain in Mexico program was very effective. It stopped the caravans of illegal immigrants that we saw coming from Central America Uh, because migrants learned that no longer could they get to the border, claim fear, and it was their golden ticket into the U.S. for them to disappear. And so they stopped coming. And Trump was the first president in decades to use the leverage, the significant leverage that the U.S. has with respect to the governments of Mexico and the Northern Triangle countries. I mean, for for decades, those countries, we've given them foreign aid, and we've taken in their illegal immigrants, which was a relief valve for those countries. And they would work here and send the remittances home. I mean, what a great deal for those countries. Uh, President Trump was the first one to come along and say, look, I need some cooperation here on migration, or uh, you might get taxed or terrorist or, you know, other consequences. And those governments very quickly stepped up and cooperated. They gave more cooperation than our own Congress.
0: Yeah. So, what do you believe the uh, end game is for legal and illegal immigrants uh, coming in here by the Dems?
2: I don't see um, if there is a magic number that the Democrats want to come in, and before they'll say, "Okay, that's good." You know, we'll we'll shut this down. I don't know what it is. Um, a Gallup poll um, shows that forty two million people just in Latin America and the Caribbean alone want to permanently come to the u s um, say that, that number, number again forty two million people Wow yep and so you know someone should ask President Biden or uh, vice president harris how m- how much is enough? Um, is there some magic number at which at which point they will stop um that they'll secure the border uh, i don't know what that is and so in the meantime um, the republicans conservatives states and um, u.s citizens just need to be vocal about this push back frequently constantly um, and and exercise the rights where they can
1: laura thanks for joining us today uh, as you well know heritage foundation is is one of our favorite uh, conservative Um, uh, groups anywhere in the country, leading thought leaders uh, for conservative movement. How do our listeners find Heritage Online, and how can they support the Heritage Foundation?
2: So they can go to heritage.org, and they will see the uh, many reports and uh, opinion pieces written by the uh, researchers and uh, can, can donate there.
1: All right. Well, that's great. Laura, thank you. You're a good sport for coming on the show today. I know we had a little bit of confusion about the time. And you are our guinea pig with our new technology. Bruce is in California uh, doing the show remotely, and Eb is in the studio. Uh, So thanks very much for being with us. Yeah, we uh, appreciate it. Thanks for
0: suffering with us.
2: Thanks for having
1: me. (laughs) You bet. When we return, former U.S. Ambassador to Mexico, Christopher Landau joins us for the balance of the hour. You're listening to Inside Track. Eb and I... We'll return after these messages from our supporters. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. but I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson iron and metal surplus. Call 209-1579, stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. It's termite season.
0: Hi, it's me. And bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control, 886-3029, that's 886-3029, or check online at essentialpest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imus 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here. Eb is here. David Layton's here. Before we get on to our next guest, diplomat and former U.S. Ambassador Chris Landau. Do you have a home improvement project you want to get going, but you're worried if you can afford the luxury you deserve? Corazon Cabinets sells top-quality cabinets by JK Legacy and Conestoga. Visit the Corazon crew at their new showroom located at 4700 South Park. Meet Joy and Lido and see their fabulous collection and let them plan the kitchen or bath of your dreams. Bruce and I uh, have always have done this. Tammy's done this. Bruce just placed an order for his new kitchen. Let me tell you a secret. The price for the kitchen was so reasonable they went ahead and decided to order their master and guest baths also. What a ganga! Call Corazon Cabinets 488-2266 and get to work on beautifying your home in 2021 just like Bruce, just like Eb, just like Tammy. Corazon Cabinets, luxury you can afford.
1: Hey, Eb and I are pleased to welcome back to Inside Track our special guest today, Ambassador Chris Landau. In case you missed our previous meeting with Chris about a month or so ago, Chris served as the 31st U.S. Ambassador to Mexico from 2019 through uh, early 2021, during one of the most interesting periods in U.S.-Mexican relations. Before becoming an ambassador, he practiced law for over 30 years, was a leading appellate lawyer uh, in this country, and clerked both for Clarence Thomas as well as Antonin Scalia. President Trump, in fact, thought so much of Chris's legal skills, he named him as one of his potential US Supreme Court future nominees. He is the son of a career diplomat, graduated first in his class at Harvard, has written extensively, and has published a recent important white paper on Venezuela. He is fluent in Spanish and a French speaker. Welcome back to Inside Track, Ambassador. Hey, Bruce, it's great to
3: be here with you and Ed today.
1: Hey, let's back up for a moment, uh, Chris, if, if we can. Before your appointment, a uh, columnist from a BuzzFeed called Zoe Tillman wrote the following. A lawyer with conservative ties and no diplomatic experience is being vetted for a U.S. ambassador to Mexico. So, so let me ask you, how wrong was she and another genius who wrote in Slate uh, about your selection to ambassador showed um trump's disrespect to mexico Hey, wasn't the idea to have new eyes looking uh at mexico u.s relations and figure out how to improve uh the relationship that we have between our two countries
3: absolutely bruce and you know listen you i guess i should be glad that she didn't call me an axe murderer or something yep. like that. <laughs> i mean the, <laughs> you know I, I wasn't exactly expecting the media to be throwing uh, flowers in my path. I mean, any president should have the diplomats who represent his uh, perspective and his worldview. And uh, my father, as you mentioned, was a career diplomat. Uh, uh, I was not. Uh, he did it for a living. But I think particularly in a country like Mexico, it's important to have an ambassador who is really with the team and with the program in implementing the president's policy. And uh, so, you know, that can be a person who has had a lot of uh, experience in, uh, in foreign affairs, or it can be someone who has demonstrated uh, leadership and success in other fields. Many of our best ambassadors so- from both parties have been people uh, who have been political appointees.
1: Yeah, and there certainly have been some good uh, U.S. ambassadors to Mexico. Uh, But, you know, with respect to the importance of the relationship that we have with Mexico, I mean, after all, one of our leading uh, trade partners, you know, on on our southern border. So what were the lessons you learned? about being a successful ambassador during your term as our man in Mexico City. Looking back at your accomplishments, what do you what do you think the biggest lessons that you learned and and the Trump administration gained from you being our man in Mexico City?
3: Well that's a great question. I think a good ambassador is ultimately a very good communicator. I think it's important that a good ambassador understands the position of his government and can express it to the Mexican government in a way that is persuasive, and look for middle ground uh, between the country's positions on different outstanding items. Uh, Look for uh, ways to uh, come up with a win-win situation, just like in any kind of human endeavor. You know, you, you, you want somebody who can kind of think out of the box. If you look like you are butting heads to think, okay, Let's try to uh, come up with a, you know, a different solution so that one of us doesn't feel like somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. Uh, I think it's also important in being an ambassador just to show the uh, country where you're representing the United States that you uh, like that country, respect that country. I think, uh, you know, I as you mentioned, I grew up in latin america and i learned spanish as a boy and i think people in mexico liked the fact that i uh you know spoke out a lot uh visited their country a lot uh you know tweeted was active on social media and i think people people enjoyed feeling like they got to know the american ambassador not just uh in terms of official policy positions but also more as a person i think that's an important part of the job yeah,
0: so with you growing up in Latin America, being not only uh, conversationally fluent in Spanish, but also being able to think in Spanish, that had to give you a major advantage when uh, dealing with the president of Mexico. Um, how did he, being an avowed leftist, uh, uh, work with the uh, conservatives?
3: You know, it's very interesting. The uh, Even though he, as you said... It definitely comes from the left in his country and makes no bones about that. Uh, you know, he also had some similarities with President Trump. And in working with him and his team, I tried to emphasize the common ground. Both of them were political outsiders who uh, really were fighting against the country's politi- their own country's political establishments. And they often did things that were somewhat politically unconventional. They were open to take approaches that were somewhat unorthodox. And, uh, you know, it's just, they actually, Trump and and the president of Mexico, López Obrador, actually had a very good relationship, because I think each of them understood that the other one was similar in some ways. They're both nationalists. They both put their own country first. And, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways the the big debate now in the world stage is between nationalism and globalism, and and I think both of the presidents come down on the side of of nationalism. And so Lopez Obrador understood where Trump is coming from, and vice versa. You know, That's it's
0: interesting you should say Trump. that uh, Trump, when when he was uh, talking about nationalism, he said, "You know, we need to take care of our country, put our country first, just like all other countries." all other uh, presidents should put their country first.
3: He understood that. I mean, he respected the fact that Mexico was looking out for merit, for Mexican interests, and the United States would look out for its own interests. I think they both kind of understood each other on that level. It's also kind of interesting that our notions of liberal and conservative don't always translate uh, to other countries. Like López Obrador, even though he's on the left, was slashing the size of the Mexican government, government spending. He is probably the most, fiscally conservative leader on the planet. He is absolutely against any kind of government debt. And in fact, uh, there's been a lot of people who called for him to do stimulus, to uh, pump up the Mexican economy, especially in light of the pandemic, and he has refused. So a lot of times, you know, the kind of left versus right issues in our country don't always translate uh, into other countries, just the way that we're used to thinking about them.
0: How often did you have a chance to speak right with the president versus his staff?
3: I didn't speak with the president that often. My main interlocutor was the foreign minister. Uh, You know, every ambassador presents credentials to the president upon arriving. uh, And then if I had something to bring up with the Mexican government, I would bring it up with the foreign minister. I I did see the president from time to time and and spoke to him about uh, this and that, but basically... Uh, you know, the the presidents kind of talk at their level directly to each other, and and my role was really to talk uh, more to the foreign minister.
0: Okay, so we just heard from the former DHS official and heritage immigration scholar, Laura Reese, on the illegal illegal immigration surge, the stay in Mexico agreement was agreed to by the Mexican government. Uh, Many learned observers believe the stay in Mexico was successful. This policy has been largely dismantled, Border security fence construction halted, and since the, policy, uh, uh, since the new president was sworn in, there's been a deluge of illegal immigrants who've come across the border into America. So I guess the question I have is whether or not stay in Mexico was successful, and what does the future look like with an essentially open border, not just for the U.S., but for Mexico?
3: It's a mess. I have to say, uh, you know, you are absolutely right that that Remain in Mexico policy was implemented to prevent abuse of our asylum laws in particular. People would come from Central America, other parts of the world, and would claim to be refugees. Now, refugees has a very specific meaning under our law. That means you have to be fleeing your country because of a fear of persecution on the basis of your politics or your religion or your race, it doesn't mean anybody who's fleeing poverty or violence in their country. But that's what is really going on here. But people were gaining the system because they were being coached to say, like, well, I feared for this or that. And so they would be able to uh, at least present an application for asylum, and then they were just overwhelming the asylum system, and they would be let loose into the United States for years while their applications were pending. The Remain in Mexico was a disincentive for people to try to gain the system that way because they had to wait in Mexico instead of being released into the United States. And it was very successful in telling people in, who wanted to abuse the system, look, the gig is up. You can't do that. So, you know I, I, um, you know, I wish it weren't necessary to have that kind of program, that we would actually get our act together and reform our asylum system. But given the existing system... It was the best way to keep it from being abused. And it's terrible to see what's going on at the border now. I mean these people are basically being lured here uh, by you know the, the availability of jobs here. This administration has sent a message that uh, you know these people will be allowed in and they will be processed. and so you can understand why people who are desperately poor all over the world when they hear, They come to the United States, they get free health care, they get free education. Uh, That's a very uh, enticing possibility. And most important of all, they can get jobs here uh, at wages they could never get in their own country. So, you know, I've been saying for a long time now, we have to get serious in our own country about cracking down on the employers who are hiring millions of these illegal folks. Immigration is not a bad thing as long as it's legal immigration. And... You know, we have to make this, the legal system easier to use and crack down the employers who are you know, employing all these millions of illegal people.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that you make, Chris. And, and I think that uh, it's a message that largely gets lost uh, when left and right uh, are, are talking about this. Uh, and and uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Everybody favors legal immigration. Hell, most of our families came here as immigrants uh, to begin with. My family, your family, and and, and millions and millions of others. So I, I think you've speculated, I think you've speculated, Chris, uh, and, and by the way, you've, you've been very uh, vocal. You have been very public uh, about your positions. And, and I think you learned a lot during your time in Mexico. It's just my personal observation uh, based upon our conversations here on the air as well as private conversations we've had. Uh, but, yeah. but the things that you've written about have really intrigued me. Uh, You've speculated that America has not been very successful with nation building. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, gee, the reason so many people come here is for economic reasons. And, you know, there's no jobs and there's no future in places like Honduras and Guatemala and so on. The Biden administration has said they want to throw billions of dollars at Mexico and Central American countries to build their infrastructure which they feel would decrease the likelihood of future waves of illegal immigration that swamp our borders is that really really realistic
3: absolutely not i mean this is the kind of talk that makes me want to bang my head against the wall (laughs) because you know here the the, you know we have this crisis at the border what is our government's own response instead of looking at what they can do or, or within our own borders i.e. enforce our own law within our own borders, uh, they're talking about trying to change deep-rooted social and economic conditions in other countries. I mean, it, it, that may be one piece of an overall strategy, but I think it's down there at about number 10 or something. I mean, you know, for, for them to you know, whip that out again as kind of, that's our first... Uh, order a business, we're going to fix the economy in in Honduras as if you can wave a magic wand. I mean, people have been at that task for 50 years. It is completely naive to think that the people who are now streaming across the borders and sending their children unaccompanied, uh, you know, that that within a few weeks or months or years even, uh, you know, they'll be having a thriving, prosperous economy down there. I mean, I think we should, you know, we, we can certainly do something to help. But a lot of times what we have done in this country is just throw money at a problem, whether that's in our own schools or in our own communities or in other countries. And I think one of the lessons that we just have to keep learning over and over again, it seems, is that money does not solve problems. A lot of these problems go far beyond just something that money can solve. And again, I think that the key, Bruce, to answer your question, is that unless uh, we crack down on the companies that are offering millions of these people jobs in this country at wages they could never dream of in their own countries they will continue to come
1: yeah and and you know uh, just uh, one more point on this and this reflects i think the um uh the very well-founded views that you've been talking about uh you wrote an article and you said i feel that way equally about nation building with drugs and with migration. It's kind of a basic sovereignty point you wrote. Every nation is sovereign within its own territory. So before we start to try to figure out what has to be done in Honduras or Mexico, and by the way, we can't fix our own economy any better than we can fix somebody else's, where the governments of those countries are going to be in the driver's seat. Let's try to figure out ways that we can do things that we don't have to get the approval of somebody else who may not be on the same wavelength. I mean, that's really a very, very uh, intuitive uh, statement for you to make, and and one that really does reflect the situation down there, isn't it? It really does. And, you know, it's just something that I think it's a natural human reaction and confronted
3: with a problem to, to basically say, well, you know, somebody else has to deal with that problem. And I think that's true for for migration and it's true for drugs that we kind of, in, in the United States in general, we tend to kind of say, Mexico, please solve this problem. But the truth is, we have to get our own house in order first. In other words, on, you know, on drugs, again, that's a terrible problem. And, you know, obviously a lot of these drugs are pouring over our border from Mexico. We have to continue to work with Mexico, but... We, it would be naive to think that Mexico can solve our drug problem. And any national strategy in the United States that relies on Mexico to solve our drug problem, I fear, is going to fail. We have to be able to deal with this ourselves. We've got to do a better job of educating uh, our, our young people in particular about the dangers of drugs. That has gone way down. We've got to crack down on the distribution of drugs. Within our own country, I mean, they don't magically wind up going from the border into our neighborhoods in, you know, Milwaukee or Pennsylvania or Pittsburgh or or Tucson. You know, they are distributed by networks within our own country. So, yes, there's more that Mexico can and should do, but we have to focus on what we can do as well. And I just I I get frustrated whenever people in Washington they think, aha, the great answer to all these problems is have the other country change. And my answer is always, no, we've got to figure out, we should try to get other countries to do things as well, but we can't expect other people to solve our problems.
0: How are Mexico's hands tied with the uh, drug trades and the drug cartel?
3: Well, you know, look, you know, corruption is obviously a very big problem in Mexico. The Mexican president can, you know, is probably in office, but you know, one of his main platforms was always campaigning against corruption. And it is an ongoing problem in that country, uh, you know, both in terms of money and in terms of just the uh, you know threat of violence from the cartels in a lot of parts of Mexico, law and order uh, is you know has broken down, and so it is uh, you know there are limits I think in terms of how much the Mexicans can actually do. To, uh, to smash these cartels. I mean, that the cartels are very well entrenched. These are some of the richest uh, and most violent organiza- most sophisticated criminal organizations in the world. And so, you know, it is a very big challenge for Mexico. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I got kind of mad at Mexico. When I was in Mexico, I would sometimes tell people, you guys don't have the luxury of just thinking this is an American problem because it's a Mexican problem, too. And we're in this together, and we need to cooperate. But you know, my, my bottom line is, you know, Mexico needs to do as much as it can in Mexico, and the United States needs to do as much as it can in the United States. And then, you know, I think that way, right now, each side is always pointing the finger at the other and said, you need to do more on your side of the border. And we've just gotten in this pattern where instead of actually getting the job done, we sit there and point the finger at each other.
0: You wrote in the New York Times about why immigrants risk their lives coming to America. Can you summarize your commentary on the why?
3: Yeah, again, I think the why basically is primarily the pull factor of jobs in the United States. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's fairly easy for illegal uh, immigrants to get jobs here in the United States that pay $10, 15 $20 an hour or more. You know, the best-paid jobs in their countries don't come close to that. So, you know, it is, uh, as long as that situation continues to happen and, and remains in place, uh, you know, they're going to keep coming. And I, I think that the, we should have systems like E-Verify that make it impossible for an employer to hire people in the first place without doing a very basic background check. I mean... With the technology that we have now, this should not be a controversial thing to make sure that somebody is entitled to get a job before they're given that job. Uh, It's just not that hard. But, you know, Congress has never uh, made uh, e-verify mandatory across the country. So you have a terrible dynamic where the firms that actually want to obey the law here are being undercut by their competitors who – are perfectly happy just hiring illegals and it's a real problem so you know I think the and again we need a lot of this labor but the question is why should we have it come illegally as opposed to legally if that's the choice let's go with the legal option it's a win-win situation for everyone
0: yeah Bruce and I both own companies we both do e-verify it's uh, it's not that much of a pain in the butt Uh, There are some glitches, but, you know, it is what it is. Hey, we're down to our last one minute and 50 seconds. Uh, In our remaining time together, how secure is American sovereignty today?
3: I think American sovereignty today is at serious risk. I think the most basic element of sovereignty is being able to control your own borders. I don't think anyone can say at this moment that we are in control of our southern border. So I think that is a very big problem as an American.
0: Anything left you want to get uh, out to people?
3: Look, I think that, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of gloom and doom topics and, and, you know, migration, drugs. Those are are real challenges in our relationship. But I think Americans should understand that there's a lot of upside in our relationship with Mexico. It's a country of 130 million people. It's... um, got, you know, a very uh, dynamic economy. In fact, it was our largest trading partner in 2019, and I think it may be again in in recent months. So we have a lot of ways in which cooperating with Mexico can really be to the benefit of both of us. And I think most Mexican people are hardworking people, uh, and it's just, it's a great country. I love representing our country down there. And I hope more Americans get the chance to actually uh, visit Mexico and and get a little bit beyond just the beaches and some of the more typical tourist spots, and and really get a sense of what the country's about. Because our future yeah. will always be linked, as as you know, you all and your listeners know better than anybody down there uh, yeah. along the border and so, on and so on. Yeah,
0: Chris, the music's coming up. We got to go. Thanks for joining us, insiders. We hope you enjoyed today's chat with Laura Reese and Ambassador Chris Landau. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, it's Bruce Ash and Eb Wilkinson wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon.
1: Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates?
2: So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing, and then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through, but that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house, we sell literally anything made of metal tucson iron and metal
1: surplus call 209 1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday
3: ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country
1: wouldn't it be great
0: if political leaders could create that country again Learn how to do exactly that one family at a time with IMUS Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, IMUS Wilkinson.com 777 1911. 777- 777